0: John chapter 15. Uh, last uh, week, as you know, we started this series, uh, Christmas presents. Christmas presents. We started this series in an unlikely place in the Bible, and the passage that we looked at uh, from uh, First Timothy. Um, we didn't see a star. We didn't see a manger. We didn't see a wise. We didn't see any wise men. But what we saw was the purpose of Christmas. So, 1 Timothy one chapter 5, or chapter one verse fifteen says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I believe that that passage and, and is is that uh, that those words are at the very heart and the soul of of Christmas, and it's the reason why we celebrate the the fact that the very fact that God Himself became like us and He lived among us and He died for us in order to save us from sin and to give us eternal life. Now, we also found out last week that eternal life isn't just living forever. If you remember, what we talked about that You know, Jesus actually said that eternal life is knowing the one and only true God and, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is knowing God in a close and a personal way. It's not something that you just get after you die, but uh, Christians have this eternal life in this life. And it only, I think, intensifies into the next life. The um, Bible tells us that when we repent of our sin and, and when we trust in Christ, that uh, those who do that, that they have eternal life. And so I think that Christmas then is is, um, is the celebration that Christ Jesus came into the world to forgive us of our sins, to rescue us from death, and to give us this incredible close and personal relationship with Him. And when you and I, when we have eternal life, when we have that growing relationship with the creator of the world, guess what we have available to us? We have joy. We have real joy. So I want to look at John chapter 15 and verse 11 there, and I want, to look at, I want us to look at what Jesus says there. In John chapter 15, verse 11, he says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let me read that just one more time. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If there's one word I think that might describe Christmas best, I think that the one word that I would think of would be the word joy. Christmas is about joy. One of the top three Christmas songs of all time and we sang a little bit of that this morning, is guess what? Joy to the world. world. That's one that we sing. And it's true. Christmas is supposed to be joy to the world. Someone once said this, that Christmas isn't just joy to America. It isn't a national joy. It's not joy to the rich. it, It isn't financial joy. It's not joy to the educated. It isn't intellectual joy. It's not joy to the happy. It isn't emotional joy. It's not joy to the healthy, it isn't physical joy. Christmas is joy to the world, it is universal joy. And I think that that's exactly what the angel proclaimed to the shepherds in in Luke chapter 2. We read this, uh, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, He is Christ the Lord." So here's a question that I have this morning, is, is this, if Christmas is, is all about joy, then why does it seem that so little of it, um, why does it seem that there is so little of it this time of year? Why does it seem that way? And I think that's a good question, really. I mean, uh, there's, there's probably more than one answer, but I, I think that, at least for me, it seems to me that maybe one of the main reasons why there is so little joy this time of year, it might simply be in our expectations of what Christmas is all about. It might be that people are depending on this season to provide joy rather than a person to provide that joy. So, But here's really the truth. Real joy can't be found in a season. Real joy can only be found in a person and His name is Jesus. And I think we know that. But so what, what are some of the things that we usually think about when we think of Christmas? I, I maybe mentioned this a little bit earlier, but some of the things that I think about, uh, some of the things that I, I mentioned last week, but um, oftentimes I think we think about food. And um, I mean, when I, I, I don't know about you, but you can name some of the things out. But I think of, well, I, I don't think of lutefisk much anymore, but probably the first half of my life, that's every, every Christmas, regardless of, I mean, there was lutefisk on the table and lefsa and krumkaka, and, and rosettes, and but then you get all the pickles, and the grandparents had it all there. So how about you? Some, some things that you remember, at, some of the food, some of your, that you think about when you think of Christmas. Any of you? Just shout it out. Cookies? Cookies. Cook? Ham? cobasa. Kiba- oh, yes. Yeah. Anybody else? Candy. What's that? Candy? Okay. Candy. okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anybody else? Cranberries. cranberries. Yeah. Got to have cranberries. Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie apple pie. Pecan pie. pie. Pecan pie Mincemeat pie. And although I'm not really crazy about it, but I, I will I will eat it. Uh, Grandma used to have blueberry pie and all that. I mean, just you think about all the food and it all comes out. And, and I, I know that it's a great time to add on a couple extra pounds because we all need that. Um, but I think about all of the food, and it's just amazing. Um, did somebody say Lefsa? Mm. You said Lefsa? Oh, Lefsa, yes. There you go. Um, but anyway, uh, Christmas, I, I think about all the fun and, and stuff. Fun, you know, with all the anticipation of gift buying and celebration, and, and uh, my least favorite is probably Walmart or anything like that. But, but I, do, I do love I mean like to buy gifts. You, you think about something special and and that you want to get for some person and and I already I already told you last week I already got one of Susan's main gifts this year and so guys I'm just encouraging you I'm letting you know that you know to go out and get your your spouses a, a gift but um, I you know we think about all the fun and the anticipation and the celebration and also I think Christmas reminds us of family. I think most often we are willing to travel long miles and just to be with our family. So there's food, there's fun, there's family, there's, you know, those things I think are just awesome at Christmas. And yet of all of those, all of those things can only provide temporary satisfaction. Do we realize that? Only Jesus can provide that deep lasting joy. And so I want to look at God's word this morning and really just look at this this joy, what this real joy is. And so I really have just three main ideas here this morning, and so I want to share them with you. And the first is this, that real joy is a gift from God. Real joy is a gift from God. So I want to go back to John chapter 15, verse 11. uh, If you want to keep that open in your Bibles, we'll be looking at that for for quite a bit this morning. We'll jump around to a couple of the places as well. But he he says there, Jesus does, he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now we understand that joy is a gift that we receive in Jesus and a gift that we receive from Jesus. Now we saw that last week in John chapter 1 which says that all who receive Him to those who believe in His name that He gives the right to become children of God. And so we understand, we, we get it that, that, that when we receive Jesus. That's what John tells us that he moves into us. He takes up residency inside of our lives, inside of our souls. He he indwells you. I mean, what an incredible picture of of God. You know, as little children, we we think of you know how do we say that? Jesus let Jesus come into your heart, or who lives in your heart? We talk about that as as, as when from when we were children, when we receive him, he moves in and he takes up residence. He doesn't just reign from his throne on heaven. He also reigns from the thrones of our hearts. And, and when He moves in, He always brings gifts with Him. And one of those gifts that He brings is, in fact, joy. I, I think of Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, where the psalmist says, in your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Could you read that with me? It should be up on the screen there. Let's read that together. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Are you, are you, you hearing that there? Um, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. Did you know um, that the joy and, and grace are closely tied together? The, the word grace. We, we, what is grace? Somebody tell me what grace is. Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. Um, beg to differ, that's mercy. That's good, though. But grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Mercy would be. And, and they're, so, they're so close, though, Pat. They're really close. But yes, grace is receiving something that you don't. So God gives us, He steps into our lives. He gives us not just joy, but He gives us life, which is what we talked about last week. He gives us life and we didn't deserve that when we deserved what? Death. Death. We deserve punishment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, But joy, I wanted you to know that joy and grace are really closely tied together. You can say that they're twins, but they're not identical. Because both words actually came, come from that, that same Greek root. The Greek word for grace is charis, from which we get a word some of you will be familiar with, charismatic, which um, contrary to popular belief, doesn't mean that we are, um, that if you're charismatic, that you have all these special, well, it sort of does, but it doesn't. But we, we see uh, uh, the, the, the outside effects of that, like speaking in a, in a tongue or, or being able to you know do a bunch of things like that. But it really means full of grace. That's what charismatic means. You're full of grace. And so that's, that's what grace is. And then the word for joy is kara, and you actually, you might say that the way that you enjoy grace is through joy. Um, I mean, you receive grace by faith, but you enjoy grace through joy. Grace is the root of salvation, and joy, in fact, would be the fruit of salvation. You don't, you don't manufacture joy. You don't produce joy. You have joy. You reveal joy. And, and, and the bottom of line is this, is that joy is present. Hear this. Joy is present where Christ is king. Joy is present where Christ is king. I think of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, where, where uh, he says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, when you think about it, joy, joy actually begins with three words, right? Well, some people think that, that those words are things like, Work is over. <laughs> That's not the three words. Uh, or sometimes people think, Here's here's something, dinner is ready. Um, that's not the three words either. Joy begins with just three words. Or how about this? Some people think that those three words might be stocks are up. Now that may not may not be for everybody, but some people when they hear that is like whoa. There's there's seemingly, but that's not it either. Well, actually, some people think joy begins with three words like this. We prayed about this today, um, or sort of along that. But some people think that joy starts with Hillary is gone, or. Trump is impeached. That's where, And yet I, I don't think that that's it either. Um, other really crazy people think that joy begins with these three words. The Vikings are champs. That's close. It's getting close, right? Um, well, actually, here's the reality. None of those things are where real joy begins. Because joy begins with these three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Joy is present where Jesus is Lord. Joy is present where Christ is King. Uh, in in John fifteen eleven, Jesus says three very specific things I think about the joy that He gives when He is Lord of our lives. Uh, First of all, he says that it's a personal thing. Look at it again. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. It's his joy. He, He doesn't give a joy that is like his, but he gives a joy that is his. Now, don't get the idea that Jesus is this pale, smug, religious recluse who hated life and couldn't wait to get it over with. No, Jesus' life was full of joy. Uh, remember what the Pharisees, what the Pharisees called him? A glutton and a drunkard. Remember that? Why? Well, because he was always at the parties, showing the love of God. And so, in, in, in fact, I, I, I think that there's evidence that Jesus was, in fact, the life of the party. Why? I, I'm convinced it was because of his joy. They didn't know who he was but they were captivated captivated by by what he was. He was was joyful and and joy is something that is attractive and it's appealing. And Jesus says, I'm giving you my joy. That's what others should see in us. Second of all, I think that joy is is permanent. Jesus says this. Look at John 15, 11 uh, once again. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete and I, I look at that and I, um, I, I ask myself you know what what is jesus joy really like? you know this joy that is now in us and well, if you look at John fifteen um, and and i 'll have you do this later on, just go through your Bibles and look at the first Eleven verses up to there. It's it's interesting. In the first eleven verses, there's a word that that we find in there that's just repeated over and over and over again, and it's the word remain. Jesus talks about remaining in me, right? Over and over and over, he says he says eleven times. He says, "remain in me, and I will remain in you." And he says, remain in me, remain in my love, remain in the vine you know this closeness he wants that that closeness and and so when Jesus says I've told you this so that my joy may be in you there's this idea of of remaining in Jesus that's that that those 11 that that's really the context of this putting his joy in it's a it's idea of remaining remain and, and remain is, is is something that must be constant it is continual you know it's it's this idea of never running out never running dry um, I got this quote that I read this week that I got to share with you. Uh, This person said, if there seems to be no joy in your life, maybe there's a leak in your faith. (laughs) And so I had to write that down. If there seems to be no joy in your life, maybe there's a leak in your faith. And here's why. Because the joy that Jesus gives is permanent. It's permanent. But then third of all, the joy that Jesus gives is also plentiful, plentiful. I've told you, listen to what he says again, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, that your joy may be full, that it might be complete, that it might be abundant." Well, actually it's the idea of that word has with it the idea of just overflowing. And I can't help but think of like like Psalm 23 where you know in verse five we're where the psalmist says, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, what does he say? Overflows. Uh, it's it's just an interesting. Well, actually, that's a real interesting image. This image of an overflowing cup. Um, uh, it's it's most likely it's 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 this reference to wine, which in In the Bible, wine oftentimes represents joy. Um, Now, let me just pause for a minute. Don't think of that through the lens of our contemporary culture, okay? I mean, um, (laughs) I don't know how many of you have seen this—the the Bud Light commercial, you know, where you have the king king is up there on his throne and he's got all of his subjects in a line and they're just the line as long as can be and they all come up and they give him a gift and it's a it's either a case or a or a 12 pack or a little or a six pack or something they all have bows on he's like oh I can't imagine what it is have you seen that commercial and he comes by and he looks at it and he's like oh you got me Bud Light. and he puts it up and he's got the stack and they said do they do this every Christmas and it's like well yes and they do this every Christmas but um um and also every Tuesday. There's something like that. But um, I, I, some of those commercials are, are pretty creative in that. Um, but the image here, don't think of our, our current culture here. I mean, it, we're not talking about when we see overflowing cup. We're not talking about drunkenness. We're not talking about that. But it's rather it's, it's this image of the overflowing cup. In that sense, it's, it's just this idea of the abundance of wine brings an abundance of joy. And I, What was Jesus' first miracle? He turned the water into wine, not the, not the cheap, cheap stuff from a plastic carton, the best wine imaginable. And, and what Jesus says to us, I think, is that I'm giving you my best joy possible. It's my joy that I'm giving to you. And it will never run out and it should, should constantly spill out into your life and it should overflow everything. It's see, it's the image of, of abundance, this idea of joy. And so real joy is a gift. You, and you receive that gift of joy with the gift of salvation that is in Jesus alone. That's the image that we have in this passage and in Scripture. Uh, second of all, real joy is is a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Um, let me just pause again for a minute, just to, because I, I I don't know. You know, maybe we think sometimes when we say something like that, it might be contradictory because we just said, if you remember, we said joy is permanent, right? And now we're saying, you know, well, it is. Joy is permanent. I mean, like like him, his joy resides and it remains in us. And so it's always available to us and it's always permanent. But how can we say that real joy is a daily choice then? Um, Well, I I think it's really rather simple. Um, I think it's because possessing joy and using it are two different things. Um, Can we all agree on that? Possessing joy and using our joy, um, living out our joy, I think those are two different things. Um, I mean, joy is always available to us, but it's not always chosen by us. Joy is abundant, but it's not automatic. No matter the circumstances of your life, you get to choose whether or not you will be joyful. So how do I do that? Well, let's once again go back to John chapter 15, verse 11. He says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Well, what has Jesus told us? What's the this that he's talking about? And I I think that that's always the danger of just pulling out a verse out of Scripture and then just kind of, you know, because we, we don't always have the full context. And so what Jesus is referring to here is that we have to look at the prior couple of verses. In fact, you could go all the way back to verse 1 to get the context of that. But I'm going to focus on verses 9 and 10. And here's what he says. As the Father has loved us, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, he says. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Gives us a a better picture there, doesn't it? Just rather than focusing on that one verse. So the question then becomes, how do we choose to demonstrate real joy? Well, listen closely to what he says. Jesus says we must remain in His love. Okay, But then we ask the question, well, how do we remain in His love? Jesus says that we must obey His commands. And so when we remain in God's love by obeying His commands, then we experience His joy. I mean, wow. But I think that that could mean, or or it must mean, the opposite as well, right? The opposite must be true, that we're not remaining in, in the love of God when we are disobeying the commands of God. And when we are disobeying the commands of God, we will not experience the joy of God. And so Joy isn't just a feeling that comes and goes depending on how life is going at the time. Joy doesn't happen to, happen to you. Joy must be chosen by you. Now I was reading something this last week and it makes a lot of sense and that is that this person said that it's a sin for a Christian not to be joyful. I had to give that some thought for a little bit and, and really think about that, but I, I think he 's right, and here 's why well I, first of all there 's you know, obviously the tendency to equate joy with, um, with happiness and when in fact joy isn 't really dependent upon our happiness so there 's that but but the, really the thing that I really focused on was I thought of well I thought of first Thessalonians chapter five verses sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen, which is actually in, in the, the original um, copies or manuscripts. It's really just one verse, but we have it as three. Do you remember what that is? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse. But do you hear it in that? Be 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 joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, joy isn't just recommended by God. It is commanded by God. Well, Paul says that this is God's will for you to be joyful and to be prayful, prayerful, to be thankful. and. But again, they're not just suggestions. They're not just recommendations, but they're commands. They're that these are things that are to be consistent in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And yet, I, I think that the truth is that even if we understand God's will, we don't always obey God's will. Is that true for you? Yeah. I know it's true for me. Um, you and I, we choose whether or not um, to be prayerful, prayerful or not. That's a choice. We choose whether or not to be thankful or not, which is a choice. Uh, Likewise, we choose whether or not to be joyful or not. not. That's a choice. And so let me just get practical here. How do do you choose to be prayerful? You pray. You start to pray. um, How do you choose to be thankful? By giving thanks and expressing Thanks, by giving and expressing thanks. How do, how do you choose to be joyful? Well, Jesus told us that. That's a trick question, right? No, maybe it's not. If we go back to the other. Jesus told us that if we want to be joyful, how do we choose to do that? We, sp- we spend time in God's word. We obey God's word. We, by doing what we know to, to be right, no matter how difficult that is, we, we do that. That's how we can experience joy. And so when you choose to be sinful, you can't be joyful when you choose to be joyful, you can't be sinful. Joy is the result of obedience. Jesus said, I, "I, remain in the Father's love by obeying His commands, and as I obey the Father's commands, I experience His joy, and this is the joy I'm giving to you, that it may remain in you as I, and remain remain in you as you do as I do." That's pretty incredible. I think the bottom line is remain in God's love, obey God's commands, and you'll experience God's joy. So those are, those are the first things. Um, one last thing. The first thing we said was real joy is a gift from God. Second of all, that real joy is a daily choice. But then finally, real, real joy is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. Joy is not just nice uh, for a follower of Jesus. It's not just nice. It is absolutely necessary. In fact, we're gonna we're gonna have a hard time following Jesus' instructions if we're not joyful people. Uh, what were his final instructions to this church? I think of Matthew chapter 28, which we call the Great Commission. Uh, therefore go into go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are that there's God's commission. But without the joy of Jesus we will never accomplish his mission. Uh, I there's a whole New Testament book that illustrates uh, I think that truth in the book of the book of Philippians. The the Apostle Paul says in in Philippians chapter four, verse four, we've we, we've committed this to a song, but he says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say it, rejoice, rejoice, always. In other words, let your let your joy just ooze out is what it's it's really saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Um, and and what's interesting is the context really in which Paul says those words when he says that. I mean. Here, here's really what's happening. Paul had spent two years in prison in, in Caesarea on false charges. Paul had, then was, was put on a ship to, to go to Rome to appear before Nero, who was actually executing Christians. And yet on the way, as he was going, to, to going there to Rome, on the way his ship was caught in a massive two week storm and shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And then that's where he was promptly bitten by a poisonous snake. Sounds like he's having a good time, right? Then three months later, Paul finally gets to Rome. He's placed in jail for the next two days. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And, he gets a, he's, and, and so he gets a new guard every four hours. And so I think to myself, so much for this idea that being in God's will always leads us to prosperity and always leads us to, to a struggle-free life, Right. So much for that. But I mean you think you've got it bad and sometimes we do. But I I challenge you to look at Paul's life here. And yet Paul says this. In the midst of all that he says, oh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me just say it to you guys again. Rejoice. So let me just ask the obvious here. How can you have joy when you struggle and suffer and life doesn't go the way that you think it should. I mean, especially when you struggle and suffer for obeying God and and, doing what he's, He's asked you to do. How can you still experience joy? Well, I want to look at what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and following. Maybe we can find the answer to that there. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 12 and following. He says this. Now I want you to know, he says, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I, that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously more fearlessly. What's it saying? Paul was chained to a different member of the palace guard. The word, it's really, they're talking about the Praetorian guard there. He was, he was, he was chained to one every, a different one every four hours, every day for two years. Now the Praetorian guard, they were actually personally chosen by Caesar to be his bodyguards. They were the, uh, among the highest, they were the highest paid people of the empire, these, these guards. And when they retired after 12 years of service, they were actually made the leaders in Rome. There's, there's a more, there's not a more strategic, I think, group that Paul could witness to if he's going to reach the Roman Empire. I mean, you know, God puts Paul in Rome. Nero pays the bill and, and, and chains a future leader to to roam to him every, single, every, every four hours. And so what that means is that in two years time, at four hour shifts, Paul had witnessed to 4,380 guards. Wow. And, and these guards had an inside route to, to the emperor. And as a result, even some of Nero's family became believers. I mean, there's this chain reaction that took place. It, it kind of reminds me of now, we, we, we think about just uh, Jan Parmalee just passed away here a, a couple weeks ago. And, um, and when I think of Jan and, and I just, um, I, I think also of her brother, Brunell Getter. Anybody know Bernell Getter? Do you remember Bernell? And I was just reminded of him. He came and spoke at our church one time and he was talking about, um, if, if, if some of you know the story, basically he, he was a missionary to, to India for over 50 years. And, and I remember him coming and talking to our church and he was, he was like, um, he had finally been able to come back to the United States, but but he really didn't care to come back to the United States. He really loved India. And I, I think that ultimately he thought of himself as, as uh, uh, not so much uh, a citizen of, of the United States as much as he did India. But he knew he had to come back and talk to, just share some things with people. But but they, for the longest time, the, the, uh, the authorities wouldn't let them. There was a lot of unrest. And there was a lot of uh, people who were, who were lashing out against. I'll just give you the, the quick skinny of it. But they were lashing against a lot of Christian groups. And, and they were in the crosshairs. And they had hostels. Um, they're like little uh, orphanages kind of thing. Hostels. Not, not, we're not talking about hostility, but um, hostels. Um, in India, and they were they were running orphanages and, and teaching these people about Jesus and everything else, and and that was their goal. That was their that was their role for 50 years, and yet they were getting a lot of pressure from the government and from all these militia-type groups that were were creating a lot of chaos and things like that. And they would bring Bernie before before them, and and they would. And this is the part that he thought was really cool. He says they would find him guilty of something and they would sentence him to that he had to stay in India. Well, that's what he wanted. And he saw that as just being awesome. You know, you have to, well, your punishment is you've got to stay right here in India. And he would praise God. They're not, because a lot of other people were being sent back to their countries or like, like to the United States because they wanted to get rid of these guys. But whatever it is that he did, you got to stay here, and that gave him more opportunity to teach the, these, these students in the hostels and to love on them and encourage them and everything else. And um, I think about his story. And, and, uh, but so, what's Paul saying here? Well, let me just tell you first what Paul is not saying, okay? He's not saying that if you're going through a difficult time, just get over it and be joyful. That is not what he is saying. But what he is saying is that in the midst of your circumstances, no matter what they are, even if you're experiencing difficulty, you have reason for joy. In fact, all of this stuff that has happened to me, Paul would say, it has served to advance the gospel. I mean, look at what I get to do. It is served to advance God's mission. So rejoice, be joyful in Christ. See, I, I think what Paul is saying is that if, if you want to experience the joy of Jesus, then make your life about Jesus. Live your life focused on the advancement of the gospel. Live your life focused on the mission of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when my life is falling apart, a lot of times the only thing that I think about is me. I I just want some relief. I just want everything to get fixed. I want everything to go right. But that's not what Paul did. Paul was obsessed with what was happening to the gospel. He was energized because he knew the gospel was advancing. Well, what is the gospel? Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And he saves sinners one way through the gospel, through his gospel. And he gets his gospel's out to sinners in one way and that is through his people the gospel is a matter of life and death for the major for the nations and nothing is in, as is as important as the gospel and when the gospel is in your life nothing nothing i mean nothing can steal your joy let's pray together father this uh, your scripture talks about the joy that you want to give to us. And I, I suspect that many of us have experienced that. And I, I think that sometimes that we have the tendency to squash it too. And Father, I just pray that you would fill us with your joy. And, and I, I, I pray that you help us to be obedient and to follow what you want us to do so that we might experience that, that more fully during this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen.